A few days ago, we were driving on Austin Avenue, and right as we were coming through the heart of the square, we passed a big van with a bumper sticker that read, Mom of Twins, colon, I take naps at red lights. <laughs> and then like a minute or two later, I pull up behind this truck at the, at the next light, and it reads, Do you follow Jesus this closely? The bumper sticker. <laughs> I am endlessly fascinated with bumper sticker creativity. Of course, mixed in there, especially in these recent years, I've noticed a real uptick in other kinds of statements made by way of bumper stickers, yard signs, and the like. Statements often pointed at, at something fundamental, some fundamental way we understand what is true and real and good. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, at this point, I had a neighbor around the corner with a sign in their yard that had something about this household believes in science. And across the street, kind of catty corner, was another house that had a sign out front that said, Arrest Fauci. And then opposite block, one block the other direction, uh, had a, a neighbor who for an entire year had a, a big sign out in the front yard that said, Vote Democrat. And this one directly across the street for those same 365 days had a flag out that said, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> and then, of course, for some time now, you can hand, hand, head over to the square, especially on the weekend, and you will find a group uh, with Black Lives Matter flags petitioning to remove the Confederate statue from the square. And, and right beside them, a group with Confederate flags petitioning the continued presence of the statue. What strikes me is, as we gather on the cusp of this nation's birthday, whether by way of bumper stickers or flags or signs or statues, we live in a time where we all have these shorthand ways to declare some kind of fundamental allegiance, some kind of fundamental belief about what is true and right and good. The question, I think, at the heart of it all is, is amidst this, this fight, this disagreement, this push and pull, this tug is, well, what is truth? The way you see it or I see it, you believe it or I see it, your news or my news. What is the truth about all of this reality? Perhaps we could take some heart in the fact that we're hardly alone in the task of discerning truth amid deeply divided and oppositional ways around things of great importance. In fact, our passage today from Jeremiah 28 is about this very thing. And at the heart of this passage, it's a particular symbol that is being vehemently debated in that time. In 597 BCE, Israel's leadership was taken into exile by the Babylonian Empire. Jerusalem itself, the capital, and, and, and most of the rest of the people, they, they hadn't yet fallen or been taken. That comes later. But some of the sacred items had already been taken out of Jerusalem's temple. And so the people are looking around and saying, the leadership's gone. The house of, of, of God itself has been compromised. What's next? Where's God in all of this? If, if we're a, a people who believe the temple is the locus of God's presence and worship in this world and, and it's compromised, could, will it soon fall? And then what then? Who are we? This passage unfolds in a deeply anxious time for God's people where something bad's happened. Will something worse happen? It's, a, it's one of those national moments. What's going to happen next? And of course, in such times, we know, 
We look, we listen for voices, someone to speak some kind of truth, clarity. The prophet Jeremiah receives a word from the Lord in just such a time. The word is that God is giving Israel into the hands of the evil Babylonian empire for, as punishment for their sins. And God wants Israel to go along with this. If Israel resists and tries to fight back against the Babylonian empire, we're the people of God, no way. It's going to go worse for them. In fact, Jeremiah's prophecy says, not only should you not resist Israel, you should actively make your homes in exile, build houses, plant gardens, have families, befriend and make neighbors with the enemy, pray for the Babylonian enemy. Jeremiah goes all in on this long, hard road of loving neighbors in a road and an area and a home you never wanted or asked for. To bring home the point, God tells Jeremiah, make a yoke out of straps and crossbars and put it around your neck. The yoke is meant to be a symbol of what Israel is to do. It's going to be under the neck, the weight, the leadership of the Babylonian Empire. That's reality. That's the truth. Another prophet named Hananiah will have none of this. Hananiah's name literally means the Lord is gracious. And Hananiah has a gracious promise. He declares before the same public forum that God is now saying, I've broken the, uh, the yoke of the king of Babylon. All the royal leaders who were taken into exile by Babylon, all the things that were stolen from the holy temple, they're going to be returned within two years, he says. This thing's almost over. God is for us. God is delivering us. And the way that we used to worship in the temple in Jerusalem, it's going to be just like it was. And just to be abundantly clear about what God is saying, Hananiah goes over to Jeremiah, the other prophet, right? Takes the yoke from Jeremiah's neck and he breaks it. He says, this is what the Lord said. In the same way, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, within two years. So which is it? We have two prophets speaking on behalf of God about their current reality. I mean, this feels like Abraham Lincoln observing the North and the South in the Civil War. Both read the same Bible, pray to the same God, and each invoke his aid against the other. Or this feels like today where you can listen to corners of the church in the United States, let alone society, just the church, and feel like you're hearing two distinct emphases, realities, truths, even. Well, has God declared that the yoke should be accepted or the yoke broken? Is God calling us to a long, hard road in a home we never wanted or asked for? Or, or is God about to do a freeing thing to the way it used to be? Is it painful news? Is it gracious news? And by implication, how do we prepare? Do we start building homes in this home we didn't ask for? Or, or, or do we fight back against the Babylonians knowing God has assured victory? Which is truth when both are from God? Recently, I was listening to this podcast with Dr. Andrew Reeves. He's a history professor at Middle Georgia State University. He specializes in medieval history and he was reflecting on the impact of chat GPT on education. He was lamenting that uh, students definitely and already and, and in good numbers use 
ChatGPT to help them write their essays, and they submit those essays uh, as if they had written the whole thing, and it's very difficult to tell. Did a human do this, a student do this, or a, a computer do this? And, and he did offer one comment about how he can sometimes tell this is probably a robot. He said, it's a combination of polish together with impersonal. It's as if Wikipedia had a voice. That's how he put it. Sometimes he'll be reading along, just, it's just a little too polished, a little too smooth, a little too right. And also it's, it's lacking anything human that might make the paper a little more bumpy or strange or, or wrong or, or even uniquely insightful. In other words, Dr. Reeves says it's really, it's not easy, but he can sometimes discern the truth of a paper based on the sound, the, the voice. Which is where Jeremiah is going in responding to Hananiah's prophecy that things are soon going to be great and God's going to restore the people just like they used to be in a couple of years. Jeremiah, in our passage, Tobias read, responds and says, Amen, may it be so. But I'll tell you, the prophets who preceded you, Hananiah, the ones who preceded you and me from ancient times, they prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. In other words, Hananiah, the words you're speaking are good, they're pleasing, they're hopeful. It's just they don't, they don't sound like how prophets of God usually sound over the years. Other prophets accent the bumpy things, the hard things, the tough things, the need to change or repent. Jeremiah's not saying Hananiah is definitely wrong. In fact, you heard Jeremiah ends our passage today saying, Look, as for prophets who prophesy peace like you, Hananiah, when the word of the prophet comes true, then it will be known that you're truly sent from the Lord. Look, history will let us know who's right and who's wrong. We'll, we'll see. But in the meantime, Jeremiah has reason for pause, reason to trust a different conviction. Because if you've listened to the prophets, the voices of past prophets, Hananiah just sounds too polished. Too much at ease to be from the true voice of God, which, of course, proves to be the case. And within a year, we read later in Jeremiah, Hananiah is struck dead and the people of Israel are completely taken into exile and the temple destroyed. Jeremiah's observation about Hananiah's voice not sounding like other prophets, faithful prophets past I think that offers a fundamental clue for us to take the heart when we're discerning what is true and real in our time, which voices are trustworthy. Because as Christians, we have one who is more than a prophet who came among us and called us to learn and heed his voice. At one point he said, my sheep know my voice. And he declared and during his own trial before Pontius Pilate, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. At which point Pilate famously retorts, what is truth? And Jesus says nothing. Not a word in response to that question. Instead, he lets all the eyes of the crowd gathered for this trial come upon him, making clear the truth is not a proposition, a platform, a party but a person, the one on whom everyone is now staring. Which is to say for Christians, if we want to discern the truth, 
about the voices we're hearing around us, the claims we hear around us, the promises made around us. We compare that voice to the voice of the living, risen Jesus, the truth himself. We listen for the degree to which we hear the living voice of Jesus in that voice, in that promise, in that direction. Of course, to do that requires some level of familiarity with the voice of Jesus. To that bumper stickers question, do we follow Jesus this closely? So closely that, that we are attuned to his voice. Or perhaps we gather on Sundays like today because somewhere deep down amid the push and pull of all the voices within our lives and around our lives that are pulling at us. Something in us knows that we long to hear afresh clearly. The voice of truth that we can so easily neglect or overlook or just miss. And so what I want to do now is, is just <clears throat> read to us a few of the words of Jesus from Scripture. Let us hear again what his voice sounds like, his call sounds like, that we might discern all the more readily the truth in our lives, the leading of God in our lives, our church our world. I think you'll hear in these words that his, his words are usually a little bit more bumpy, a little bit more unsettling, a little bit more unlikely, a little bit more surprising than something straightforward, obvious, or easy every time. I invite you to just let your hearts hear the voice of truth and receive for a few moments. Turn around, for the kingdom of God is near. Blessed are the poor. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Love your enemies and pray for the ones that are persecuting you. Oh, whoever wants to be great among you must become a servant. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And give his life as a ransom for many. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against another, forgive them so that your father may forgive your sins. Do to others what you'd have them do to you. He has anointed me to set the oppressed free. Oh, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Therefore be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Oh, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. 
Our reality today is not exactly or nearly like Israel's reality on the cusp of exile. But I do believe we are in something of an extended national moment of what is going to happen next. And into that anxiety floods a plethora of voices, symbols, flags, declarations about what is right and true and real and what will in fact free us. Amid all of that, how does the voice of truth himself call this day? How do you sense the voice of truth laying claim afresh upon our hearts this day amidst it all? And if we find it difficult to hear the voice of Christ in a central and ongoing way, if our lives as we step from here need some kind of symbol, some kind of shorthand reminder, about, about the nature of Jesus' voice, I think there is a reason this symbol has endured for 2,000 years in the church around the world in all of its various forms. Oh, it's a symbol of hope made known through great pain. A symbol of love, oh, made known through great sacrifice. A symbol of reconciliation, oh, made known through humble, deeply unfair forgiveness. A symbol of life made known through the valley of death. On the cusp of the 4th of July, we're mindful of this. This is a symbol of freedom made known through the valley of great injustice. The truth who holds us this day is beautiful, good, and eternal. But the road on which that truth unfolds is never easy, quick, or painless. May the Holy Spirit attune our ears to the truth. For the truth and the truth alone will set us free. Amen.